excited to welcome you again to First Methodist Mansfield. Uh, if we have not met, my name is David, and I serve as a senior pastor here. And I especially want to welcome you if you're a first-time or returning guest with us uh, today. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you did not bring your Bible with you, I'd love for you to do that uh, when you come back next week. Uh, the other thing I want you to know is that we have some blue Bibles available for you in the seat pocket in front of you. I'd love for you to pull that out, uh, and you will see here on the screen the page number uh, for 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, in that blue Bible. So go ahead and pull that out and find that for me so you can follow along uh, in just a moment. This is the fifth week of this series uh, called Declutter, and if you're brand new, uh, we've been talking about the idea that we, we sort of all know what clutter and chaos is. We, there's some sense of that in our life. If there's anyone here who doesn't, congratulations. I mean, you should preach the final message next week if that's where you are. But I'm guessing most of us have a sense of what that is. But in this series, we're not talking about the clutter or chaos that floods our calendars uh, or our minds, but, but rather we're talking about the clutter that exists in our souls. And so in previous weeks, we've talked about hurry and how hurry affects the soul. We've talked about noise, that was last week, and how noise affects the soul. And I knew what I wanted to talk about this week, but I wasn't quite sure how I was going to talk about it until I heard the first message that Pastor Johnny shared in this series. He's been preaching in our well services, and in that first message of the series, he mentioned something that I'm guessing you have in your house, I have in my house. In fact, I brought mine with me. This is my junk drawer. Does anyone have a junk drawer in their house? So I grabbed my junk drawer last night. I, I came up. I, I left the house a little bit before my wife did. She came up. She saw this on the stage and she goes, oh, that's where our drawer is. Anyways, so I wanted to bring this to, to show you. And I'm just going to show you a couple things that I have in my junk drawer. The first thing I have that I want to show you is just these are things that you might find in your pocket right now, but I've got a lot in my junk drawer. These are all keys. Does anybody know why I have keys in my junk drawer? I have no idea what they go to. That's right. Good job, Randall. Appreciate that. Yeah. I've got several different size Allen wrenches uh, in my junk drawer, which just, this is, just tells you where we buy our furniture, okay? We've got all these, these Allen wrenches. I have an internet cable that I don't need, but I know as soon as I throw it away, I'm going to need it. So I keep that in there. That's in the junk drawer. I have some name tags in my junk, junk drawer. I've got a youth pastor, um, associate pastor, teaching pastor, directing pastor. If you're new, I've had several titles here. So I've got all, I've got all those name tags. I've got some jump drives that I don't use anymore because I keep everything in the cloud. I have a power cord that goes to a cordless phone that's somewhere... I have no idea where the phone is, but here's that. I have this little drum key, and I was, I put this in here, and I thought, I don't even know what this goes to, and then I remembered we bought, just a few moments ago, I remember we bought my son a little drum set, so I have a little tuning key for, not that that's going to help the, the drum set you buy for a five-year-old, but they give you a tuning key. I've got uh, a, a cartridge, a print cartridge for a label maker. I can't find the label maker, but it's a brand new print cartridge. It just seems wrong to throw it away. And there was some balls of twine here, old batteries. I'm, I'm guessing you have some similar things in your junk drawer. But as I was thinking about, you know, what is it that we put in this drawer? This is what I kind of came up with as a definition of what ends up in the junk drawer. The junk drawer is filled with things we never do anything with because we don't quite know what to do with them. 
You know, we pick them up, they, they, we find them all around the house, and we just, they just collect there because we can't decide what to do with them. So we just, we just put them there. These are things we never do anything with because we don't know what to do with them. And what I want to suggest to you is that this same thing is something that lives within our souls. All of us have a junk drawer of the soul. And that junk drawer is filled with things that, again, we never do anything with because we just don't know what to do with them. So let me give you a couple of examples because you may be thinking, well, what does that mean, Pastor? What does it mean to have a junk drawer of the soul? Well, here's a couple of things that may exist in the junk drawer of your soul. One of those things might be some unhealthy or unrealistic expectations that you have for your life. And those expectations may have been something that someone gave to you. They thought it was a gift, but in your life what you have experienced is that it's a little bit more of a curse. It may have been expectations that were placed on you when you were young, some height or standard that you felt like you needed to live up to. And and though you have never quite made it there, you wake up every single day with the sense that, well, maybe today will be the day. And so this cloud of disappointment follows you in your life. Maybe what fills your junk drawer is some hurt that you've experienced in your life. Maybe from a relationship that experienced a fracture. And after that fracture, that relationship just went away. Or maybe the hurt that you're carrying around in your junk drawer is from a relationship that remains in your life, but it's only a shadow of what it once was. And you just kind of have this hope. All you're left with is the hope that maybe one day, maybe one day restoration might be able to happen in your life. Maybe what's in your junk drawer is some unresolved anger. Because life took a turn on you that you did not expect. Something surprising happened. Something changed in your life. You had to set aside a goal or a dream for which you were pursuing because something else came along and interrupted the flow of where your life was heading and there's just some anger about the disappointment of that experience or or maybe what fills your junk drawer is just good old-fashioned guilt and maybe even somewhere in the back of your mind there's this memory of 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 something that went wrong maybe it was 10 minutes ago or 10 years ago but there are triggers in your life if you live with this you know what I'm talking about There are triggers, and when those triggers happen in your life, it's like that memory that was so long ago is all of a sudden fresh and new again, and the shame that comes with it feels brand new as well. Just a few things that we we, we never do anything with because we just don't know what to do with them, these things that fill the junk drawer of our soul. So here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to think about what it might be for you. Now, I'm not going to ask you to write that down. And at no time during this service am I going to ask you to turn to your neighbor and confess to them what it is, okay? So it's safe just to bring it to your mind. No one else is going to know. It may be one of the things that I've already mentioned or something else. I just want you to think about it. What might it be that fills the junk drawer of your soul? Because what I want to do today is I want to confront that. And I use that word very intentionally. We're going to have a confrontation between that junk that you have put in the junk drawer of your soul and this truth that we're going to look at in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
I'm going to begin with you in verse 13. So if you want to turn there and just look there, the passage that I really want you to focus on, the, the scriptures that are really, are really the heart of what we're talking about, actually begin in verse 14. But I want you to hear this one verse that precedes us. This is the Apostle Paul, and he is writing to some of the first Christians. And as a follower of Jesus, Paul is stating in this section of 2 Corinthians 5 a fundamental conviction on which he has built this new life of faith, a conviction that he is sharing with these new believers. But before he gets to sharing that conviction, here's how he sets this up. He says, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. And I wanted to start here because I want you to see that before Paul shares this conviction, he is acknowledging that the people that he is writing to have heard from others that Paul is crazy. What he has been preaching, what he has been sharing, others have been surrounding this community of faith and saying, man, this guy is out of his mind. He is crazy. The stuff that he is talking about is unbelievable. And Paul comes out before he even shares it with them, and he says, hey, I acknowledge that. This sounds fantastic, amazing, too good to be true. But this is the conviction. So verse 14, here's what Paul says. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Verse 15, and he died for all that those who now live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Verse 16, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. Now, I want to go back first to verse 14, and I want to point out this phrase for you here in the middle of verse 14. Paul says, we are convinced. We have come to a place where we have been convinced. convinced. We now have this conviction that we are about to share with you. I want you to think just for a moment of what Paul is articulating when he says, we are convinced. I have a really good friend in my life, and one of the things that I appreciate about this friend is he is an honest and sincere seeker of truth and seeker of faith. He is someone who has wrestled with this book. He's wrestled with what the, the, the truths that are in this book, the claims that this book is making on his life, what this book says about God. What this book says about all of humanity, he is someone who is wrestling with that and seeking that. And in that seeking, he has on many occasions, uh, as a friend and knowing what his friend does as a pastor, he has asked me some questions. Now these questions are not, where do I find the book of Matthew? Or some of the more easier questions that I might be able to address for him. These are some really difficult questions. These are things that maybe some of you may think, I'm not sure you can ask that question in church. I'm not sure you, can ask, you should ask the pastor that question. These are the kinds of questions that he asks of me. And, and here's part of what I want you to hear today as I talk about my friend. I want you to hear, if you're someone who has questions like this, I think those questions are good. 
I think it's good to have questions. I think it's good to wrestle with your faith. My experience has been that those who wrestle with faith, those who ask questions of faith, are those who eventually adopt and and have the deepest faith. And so when I think about our our youth over here who are here in worship, one of the things that that I pray for them as they grow and mature in their faith is that they will ask questions and they'll wrestle with faith so that the faith that we're seeking to develop in them is one that, that they begin to claim for themselves as they sincerely and honestly seek out truth and seek out faith but in the course of these questions again these are not easy questions they're hard questions they're they're questions that that lead to hours and hours of conversation uh, between he and I of things that he doesn't quite understand or he doesn't quite get every once in a while we do come to an impasse we come to a place where I have given him all that I can and though I may want to give him more, though I may, I may want to, to pull and, and say, come on in, I, I, I have that desire, I know that I've come to the end of what I can offer. And usually, the, the, the way that I express that, what follows at that impasse is some sort of expression of these words, in spite of what I do not know, and in spite of what I do not yet understand, This is what I'm staking my life on. This is what I have chosen to place my faith in. Now, for some of you may think, oh, gosh, that's not enough. I want more. I don't want any gray area. I'm not comfortable with the mystery. And my response is simply this. I can't eliminate that for you or for me. Because at some point, faith is a decision. Faith is a choice. Faith always involves the risk of what you place your faith in not being true. Some of you who have stood before a community of people and pledged a commitment to another person know exactly what I'm talking about. Faith, it is a decision. It is staking your life on something that you have chosen to believe is true. So I want you to hear that from Paul. I want you to hear the way he expresses that. We are convinced. We have come to a place in our life where we are willing. Remember, this is not mainstream Christianity place here. This is a brand new way of thinking. Paul's saying, I'm willing to stake my life on this. And by the way, most of the first followers of Jesus did exactly that. They stake their life on it. We are convinced. And what's the conviction? What's the conviction that he shares in verse 14, 15, 16, and 17? Well, it's essentially this. It is that all this stuff that is in your junk drawer, all this stuff that was in Paul's junk drawer, Paul, this, this is the argument that he's making. When Christ died, Everything that exists in this junk drawer of your soul, everything was united with Christ. Like this this magnet, it pulled all these things in with him. When Christ died, all of those things also died. And because they died, because they were united with Christ in his death, they are now, this is the word that Paul uses, they are now gone. They're gone. The old is gone. And the new has come. 
The slate has been wiped completely clean. You have been given, because of Jesus, a totally fresh start. This is the crazy and perhaps unbelievable conviction that Paul is saying, this is what I've been convinced of. That everything that was before, it's now gone. The new has now, in fact, come in this place. Listen to how the Message Bible says this. The old life is gone, a new life burgeons. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and Him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with Himself through the Messiah giving the world, hear this phrase, a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. Now again, remember the word I shared with you. I want to have a confrontation with whatever it is that gets churned up in your memory. A confrontation between those things that may fill your junk drawer and this statement that Paul is making in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There's an intersection here between these two things. There is a place of confrontation. And at that place of confrontation, you have a decision to make. And the way I look at it, you can sort of decide three different things. Here's the first thing that you could decide. You could choose to believe the truth of your experience. And when you make this choice, when you make this decision, here's essentially what you're saying. You are saying to a promise like we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you are saying, wow, that sounds great. That sounds really, really good. But maybe it's just, you know the phrase, too good to be true. When we believe the truth of our experience, what we're essentially saying is, I'm waiting for the fine print. I'm guessing there's going to be that fast talking at the end of the commercial. There's something else that's coming that I haven't heard yet. I'm just going to wait because it just sounds too good to be true. And so we believe the truth of our experience. We believe what life has taught us. We believe what has been churned up in our life. We believe the hurt. We believe the anger. We believe the resentment. We believe the stuff that's been, that's been planted in our life. Or we can make this choice. The second thing we can do is we can believe the truth of faith. We can make a decision. We can make a choice to believe the truth of faith. We could, in faith, make a statement like Paul did. We could say, we have become convinced. And so we are making a choice to live a life based on this truth. Now, if you do that, here's what I want to make sure you understand. When you make that choice, you are making a choice. That word's important. You're making a choice, and it's not a choice that you make in a single moment in your life. It's a choice that you continue to make over the course of your life. It's just like choosing to love somebody. You don't just choose on a particular day to have a big celebration and say, we love each other. You know, it's a choice you continue to make over and over and over again. It's a choice that you live into when you choose again to sacrifice and to serve and to forgive. 
to step into again the life that says, I'm choosing love again. I'm choosing commitment again. I'm choosing honor again. I'm choosing life with this person again. It's a continual choice, and so it is with faith. It's a continual choice we make every single day where we say, I'm choosing that this is true and not my experience. I'm going to base my life on this truth, not my experience. Or there's a third option, which many of us choose, and that is to do nothing. That's what happens when we find the power cord that goes to something that we once had that we don't know what to do with, and we say... I'll just leave it there. Essentially choosing to do nothing. But here, here's what I want you to hear. This is, this is the confrontation that I want to have with you. Choosing nothing is actually choosing something. Choosing nothing is actually choosing something. See, we have this, we have this sense that this is like the third choice. Well, we're just going to wait. We're not going to do anything right now. But when you choose to do nothing, you're actually choosing something. You're choosing to believe the truth of your experience rather than choosing to believe the truth of faith. It's saying, I can't let this go. Because if the old has gone and the new has come, the only reason this stuff remains is because we've made a decision to hold on. We've made a decision to not let it go. When we choose that, we're, we're actually choosing something. We may not recognize it, we may not see it, but we've made a choice. We've made a choice to believe the truth of our experience rather than to believe the truth of faith. One of the things that, that my wife and I got to do when we were in college, uh, we'd been dating at this point for a little less than a year, uh, we got to go on a backpacking trip. And by the way, this was my idea. I thought this was going to be a great idea. Uh, again, we, we started dating in October. This was the following August. And I was like, let's go on this backpacking trip. And, and if I didn't know it already, I mean, this should have been the final clue. She really likes you, David, because she said yes. Because what you may not know about my wife is my wife is allergic to nature. Like anything, wherever you go, there is something she is allergic to. Doesn't matter the season, a new allergy shows up. She just, that's just who she is. And she loves being outdoors, but outdoors doesn't necessarily love her. And so, you know, she, she deals with that. And, but she said, yes, she said, yes, I'll go on this backpacking trip with you because you want to go. And so we went, it was with the college ministry that we were a part of at the time. And well, I, I had a great time. I think she did sort of as well. You know, it was sleeping outside. If you've never been backpacking, it's sleeping outside, packing everything up, sticking it on your back, moving to the next campsite, 10 miles or so, uh, uh, hiking through the woods. We were in the the woods of Arkansas, the Arkansas mountains, which of course was beautiful and amazing, but it, it wasn't her definition of a good time, you know, this is going to be great, we're going to go backpack through the mountains of Arkansas. She had to carry a heavy pack, she had to sleep outside, she was sniffling and sneezing the whole time, and I don't remember what day it was, but it was past the halfway point when at the end of the day she sat down uh, her pack and sat down on the picnic bench and sat right on top of a bee. And here's the most amazing part of the story. She still married me. 
Isn't that cool? That's awesome. One of the things that I remember with fondness about that trip, of course it was beautiful to be in that, in that place, the, the, uh, the vistas that we got to see there up in the mountains of Arkansas, just, just tremendous glory if you've ever had the chance to do something like that. But one of the things that I remember with fondness was what it felt like at the end of that day. If you've ever been backpacking, you know exactly what I'm talking about. After carrying that load of 20 pounds, 30 pounds, whatever it was, you know, over, over the course of an 8 or 9 or 10 mile hike, to, to get to camp at the end of the day, and in that first, what it felt like, that first moment when you got to take those straps off, and you got to lay down that weight that you've been carrying all day long. Just a tremendous relief. I mean, there's an energy that all of a sudden is released and present that you didn't know you had anymore because you, you were able to, to take that weight off and to set that burden down. And I tell you that because I wonder today if there is someone who needs to lay down a burden. If there's someone who needs to just pull something out of that drawer and to make that journey from the junk drawer to the trash can and to let something go. And to say, I'm not going to believe this anymore. I'm not going to believe the truth of this experience. I'm not going to believe the, the, the lesson of this hurt or this, or this resentment. I'm not going to let this anger direct my life anymore. I'm going to let it go because the scriptures tell me it's gone. And I don't have to hold it anymore. I don't have to walk with it anymore. Here's, here's a sentence I would like you to remember if that's where you are today. Faith is confidence in God. That's what faith is. Faith is confidence in God. And if you find yourself at that place where you recognize you got something that you're carrying in your life and you need to let it go, the step you take is simply saying, faith is confidence in God. I have more confidence in God than I do in myself. I have more confidence in God than I do in the truth of my experience. I'm going to stake my claim. I'm going to say, this is what I'm going to build my life on. And not on the experience of my hurt, not on the experience of my resentment, not on the experience of, of the disappointment that I might have in my life, but on the truth that the old is gone and the new has come and so in this moment what I want to invite you to prepare to do is to have another confrontation because here's what we're going to do today we're going to come to this table of holy communion and, and, and just in case you've never done this before let me tell you what happens here at this table we bring to God our need and God in turn gives us God's grace it's a confrontation between the hurts and hopes of our life and the grace and dreams of God. It's a reminder that on the, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it for his disciples. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. As often as you eat of this, Jesus said, remember me. On that same night, Jesus took the cup. He raised the cup and he blessed it. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And as often as you drink of this, Jesus said, remember me. And what Paul said was this, that when Christ died, when the body was broken and the blood was shed, all those things in your life 
we're united with him. We're removed forever. And a new life was made for you. And so you are invited to this table for a moment of confrontation between your own need and the grace of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would grant us faith. That you would give us, Lord, a confidence and trust in the truth of your word. And that you would allow us, Lord, with courage to let go of those burdens and weights that are holding us back. Help us, Lord, to empty the drawer, to get rid of the junk, and to begin to take steps where we become convinced that we can trust you with our lives. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.